Welcome to OnAmp. Oh no, not another marketing podcast. I'm your host, Will Davis. I'm the Chief Marketing Technology Officer and co-founder at RightSource with over 20 years experience in the marketing space. On this podcast, we'll cover everything from strategy to content to MarTech platforms and everything in between. You'll hear honest talk about successes and failures with our guests, plenty of analogies, maybe a couple jokes, and a lot of data points along the way. Success to me in a brand is in its execution. So the design, beautiful. Um, The process and the research, uh, really telling. But really it's about how it grows and evolves when it lands in the hands of the people that are using it. Welcome. With me today is Jennifer Jericho, Manager of Brand Marketing and Design for Barcoding. Jennifer, you and I were talking off air, uh, and I always like to start with some interesting background with folks. And I heard two really interesting things from you. One is that you uh, were born and raised in Venezuela, and the second is that uh, you went to culinary school. So how does one get from culinary school into your current role now? Uh, Well, um, first of all, hi, and thanks for having me here. Um, I suppose with culinary school, what I say is that it was a great uh, way to exercise my creativity. Um, And I think that what brought me into more traditional role of um, design and branding and communications uh, was realizing that that was a personal passion and something that I wanted to do um, not with the strict hours of waking up at 5 a.m. to go cut carrots at culinary school, uh, which at that point in time really felt um, a little shallow for what I was interested in doing. And so you came from there through to, and we'll talk more about your background in just a bit, but as manager brand marketing and design for barcoding for our audience that isn't familiar with barcoding, Who is barcoding? So barcoding is a supply chain automation and innovation company. Um, We focus on data capture solutions using barcode and RFID, labeling and printing and mobile computing. We're based in Baltimore, Maryland, and we have offices across North America. We actually just expanded into Canada, which is really exciting for this brand exercise. Um, What I really love about barcoding is that we work under any industry that moves inventory all across the world. So we work with brands as large as Under Armour and Sporting Goods and Enterprise to small boutiques that just want to improve their processes. That's really interesting, and, and one of the reasons we have you here today is talking about the rebrand that barcoding just went through. But before we get to that, uh, you have a really interesting background. Uh, you've been a professor, you've been a leader in the AIGA, you've been a brand marketing manager. What have you learned from each of those roles, and how do you kind of put them to use in your day-to-day now? So I think the common theme between all of those roles is really design and communications. So as professor, I taught the Masters of Science in Human-Computer Interaction about design and using it, applying it to user interfaces. And I also worked with MFA creative writers on how to design their own books based on the work that they had done during their master's program. So teaching design to non-designers really helped me refine my messaging about how you really use these tools and techniques to better communicate your message. 
working with AIGA was this different facet, even though um, it's the Professional Association for Designers. Our job as a nonprofit is to build community as well as professional development for designers at all different areas of the industries. And so um, as co-president of the Baltimore chapter, we were really tasked on turning the chapter around and building it, um, growing its finances, providing value for its membership, um, as well as creating community and um, board operations. So through that experience, the, the logistics, um, operations, um, recruiting, because recruiting volunteers is very different when you don't have to pay them. Uh, <laughs> you have different ways in motivating people. Uh, So all of those jobs really informed my role today at being an advocate in an in-house organization of the size of something like barcoding. That's great. Yeah, really interesting. And, you know, as we talked about, that led you through to a recent rebrand at barcoding. Uh, We're going to dive pretty deep into that. But can you start by telling us about the process, uh, what your role in the rebrand was? And um, to begin with, why did it all start, right? Because many companies say, hey, we've been successful in barcoding's case 20, 20 plus years. Things are going well. Why do we need to change now? So I guess let's start there with sort of the the impetus and the why. It's a great place to start. Um, My role was to lead the brand refresh uh, at barcoding. And while I'd like to think that that started on my first day at barcoding, um, the catalyst really was our 20-year anniversary, as well as the purchase of the new building. So in moving our physical space, there was this opportunity to look at where we'd been for the last 20 years and think about where we were going and how we wanted to present our brand and our identity in a new way. So in your case, uh, something like acquiring a building creates a nice trigger point uh, for people to look at why are we rebranding? But as I can imagine, were some people resistant? Absolutely. I think that any form of change as a rebrand causes some resistance. So I think the goal is to bring people along in the process. Uh, We often think that uh, something like a rebrand needs to be some sort of surprise, but there's something to be said for the anticipation of that rollout. How did you get them on board? Uh, you know, just talking about there's some resistance. Sure, you can build some of that anticipation, but still, humans are not always great with change. And since we all work with a lot of humans, I can imagine uh, a big part of the process was enrolling some some key folks. Yes. So first of all, to your point of you're working with humans, and if you don't uh, keep that in mind, you're likely going to fail. (laughs) Um, You know, my first message to my internal team was to keep in mind that we were going to be working with people of all different areas of the department, some that had been with the company since its inception. And so a brand is a very personal process. Um, which means that you have to not have the end goal in sight, but build it together. So we start with leadership, um, we start with research, we interview customers, we talk to our employees, not just the established ones, not just the directors and the vice presidents, but the people that maybe are brand new to the company that are seeing things differently. Um, What I always kept saying through the process is we are going to make uh, decisions based on fact as opposed to opinion. And that is really helpful to reframe the conversation when brands can be very opinion based because there's a lot of feelings involved in it. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point is really kind of leaning hard on the research and being able to say, we went out to the market, uh, we understood this, we looked internally, we learned that rather than just saying, I'm going with my gut on something, being able to have that research and really from not just the top, but through all ranks internally and also externally in the market. Absolutely. So one of the things that we questioned was the name of barcoding. So at the very beginning, when we started talking about the process, um, it was, should we change the name? And Mm -hmm. we learned through the research, I think our favorite quote was, everybody knows, even your grandmother knows what a barcode is. (laughs) And so it was there in the research that we realized the equity in the brand. And so one of the big concerns, going back to your question of resistance, was this could be a distraction. Mm -hmm. We're growing. We're moving to a new building. We're gaining momentum in various areas. If we rebrand, is this going to distract the efforts of the company internally as well as confuse external members? And so changing the name felt like a mistake. Like we were going to go down a road where we would spend more time telling people, no, this is our name and no, use these documents and no, this is really why we changed it. And instead, why not use that momentum and that equity of 20 years and just refresh, which is, I think it's a big conversation when you're looking at a brand change is it's still a rebrand, but choosing whether or not you're going to refresh it or completely change it is a really important point that you need to take the time to analyze before you move forward. Yeah, I think that's great. And you see so many companies that, you know, the gut reaction is, well, if we're going to rebrand, let's change our name or let's go really big without kind of doing that due diligence to understand, okay, is is the name still relevant? And we've invested so much in this. You talked about the brand equity that is this change just change for change's sake and probably not valuable or is there a reason to change it? So building that reason was so important. Right? So what, what are our goals behind it? And how do we stay focused and intentional through the process? Because this wasn't a process that was overnight. We're looking at at least a year of dedicated effort from various teams to make this happen. So we needed to have our goals um, set up front and then find ways to remi- remind everyone. So no new goals or plans were being thrown in in the middle of the process. That, that's a really good uh, control to put around the process, too. Um, As we talk about the process, uh, what does that look like? I mean, you talked about some of the research pieces and then really understanding, okay, step one is naming. Uh, But we could go everywhere from brand essence to positioning to visual identity, you know, all components of branding. How did that all come together for you? And, you know, what does that process kind of look like? Great question. It's one that I spend a good amount of time researching before coming in today uh, because when you have this many people involved. We are an organization, 150 strong, um, and really need to get buy-in throughout the company. So um, it's a lot of little moving pieces together. The first and most important thing was getting buy-in to start the process with our leadership. So before we're even discussing a name, positioning, messaging, is can we even start this process? So for about four months, We started the process unsure on whether or not the actual brand refresh we were going to pitch was going to get approved to move forward. Mm -hmm. Um, In in that um, process as well, positioning and messaging had been built for the eight years that Jodi Costa, the vice president of marketing and my fearless leader, she set the groundwork 
uh, which made it really easy because I do agree with you. Some companies, they have to reinvent everything when they're doing a rebrand down to their processes and how they hire people and the culture. And we didn't have to do that here. Our messaging needed to be tweaked and refined. Our positioning was strong. Our culture was strong. So what we needed was a visual identity to match those things. That's great. And I I think it's interesting to hear that because many companies um, don't do kind of that internal audit first and understand, you know, what do we need to change? If anything, what do we need to evolve? And it either ends up being um, let's take it all on when maybe you don't need to or let's just redo the logo and then we're good to go. And, And often there's, you know, clearly different pieces of that that are important to different organizations. So what you say about logo is super important because from the very start, we were strong in our stance that we were not designing a logo. Even though the logo was very much a central point of that process, uh, getting people to think outside of that really helped along. That we were creating an identity system. So because barcoding had grown over 20 years, it had added a variety of technology to adapt to the needs of its customers. So what it had started at wasn't what it was anymore 20 years later. And the product of that was a disjointed brand with 15 logos for every area of business. So visually, they had siloed all of the different areas of the company, even though they were collaborating to offer Mm -hmm. solutions to their customers. Mm -hmm. And so that was the part for us that we realized we needed to create a more um, defined and focused brand that would help everyone talk about what we do well. Yeah, I can imagine that disconnect where you have um, different pieces of the organization that maybe come in to meet with a potential customer and they hand out the business cards and they don't even look like they're from the same family. Yes. And that's a very tactical example, right? But we see that all the time too. So you guys work together, but nothing looks like anything else. So creating some of that kind of visual identity system too. Yeah, so we found that our customers knew that we did one thing, but had no idea we did another. Mm -hmm. And so what opportunities were we missing as an organization if maybe they were sourcing business from other places that we were already doing? And as you might know, is bringing on vendors can be really complex. They need to be partners in the organization. They need to help support your business. And the more vendors you have, the harder it becomes. I think that's a big challenge sometimes in B2B is that sort of awareness of, oh, I didn't know that you did that too, right? Which is um, one, an opportunity as, as, a, as a B2B sales or marketing person. Two, it's sort of soul crushing for a moment where you're like, oh, you've been working with someone else who does that thing that we do and we know that we could do it more efficiently, more effectively. You know, we love working with you anyway. And so really as you look at part of the branding exercise, how do you open up some of those opportunities, at least from a uh, brand perspective? Yes, and what I see is that the the visual brand is supporting something that was very anecdotal. So all these conversations were already happening between the salespeople and the business development and all the different departments with customers, with partners, mm-hmm. but it wasn't being supported um, in that in that visual way. So as you start to go through this process, um, any kind of sacred cows, anything where someone said, you know, in that period you were talking about where you were working, but you weren't sure if you'd be allowed to move forward. Did anyone say, okay, you can go through this, but you can't change thing X or, you know, someone high up in the organization is really wedded to thing Y? 
Yes. So we thought the flying barcode was the sacred cow, which was the brand mark for the Mm -hmm. logo. And again, a company named Barcoding, its brand mark is a flying barcode. Um, We were concerned that was going to be the sacred cow, um, but was surprised that through the process, people were much more willing to see the the change and, and accept it. People were excited to see a new look. The one thing that surprised me kind of was the colors. So the tech industry is very blue mm-hmm. and it was very difficult for anyone to consider a color scheme that was different. So what we did instead was build on the current palette as opposed to change it completely. I think that that's a good idea too, as you talked about kind of enrolling people and getting some of that buy-in is maybe you can't make a massive shift uh, away from, you know, core colors people have been used to over the years, but just kind of more subtle tweaks and adjustments. That's exactly the point of where you can be successful or you can fail in a project. Are you flexible or are you rigid? Are you willing to let something incrementally grow or do you need 100% of everything to change to be happy with uh, whatever project or initiative you're running? And I, and I presume you're happy with where it landed? <laughs> it is. It's, so it's a really hard process when you're in the middle of it. Now that we're starting, so we're in the year of execution and implementation, and now we have seven trade shows this spring season. I'm starting to see all the additional collateral. When we expanded to Canada, we were able to roll out that brand so quickly, Um, and that to me felt successful, but there's always this nervous part of did this work was it the right thing i don't know i guess we'll see um while still being very confident with everyone saying yeah we got this Mm -hmm. so uh before we get to some of the the results um what is the internal reaction been what's the market reaction been what have you heard One of the goals that I had was to launch the brand in January so we could ride the wave of the new year. So often in uh, businesses, especially because we're working with other businesses, there's a ton of meetings where we're um, planning the next year, we're figuring out where we're going to collaborate, and it felt really important to launch in January when everyone is thinking about the calendar year and what we're going to do next. As part of that rollout, I read that training your ambassadors and building up energy prior to launch were really important components to the rollout and important to a successful rollout. Can you talk about why those steps were so important and how you tackled them? As I mentioned earlier, I think that um, surprises can be really difficult to pull off. And there's something to be said for building anticipation. And so... Uh, build, bringing brand ambassadors in was going to determine the success of the launch. There are so many areas of business we needed to understand and take inventory of where we were going to apply that brand. What were the places that we did not know um, that there needed to be brand presence? What places don't have brand presence that should have it? Um, so of course there was a phased approach, but we wanted to at least for launch be aligned and there's no way that we were going to do it alone and there's no way we were going to get buy-in if it was just coming top down. So when we brought brand ambassadors in, there was just this level of excitement. We gave them brand hero t-shirts, which were like, it looked like a superhero on their shirt, this uh, logo. And, um, you know, so people started to get excited because they felt like they were insiders to the process. We had about 12 people. And so they'd, they'd wear their shirts at work and people were like, wait a second, where did you get that shirt? Mm-hmm. Um, and then they had buttons and we, and we made sure to 
when you're adding a new initiative and you want to bring people on board, you also have to be conscious that they have a business to run and they have their own day-to-day operations to manage. So we also had to set clear expectations. There were uh, every other week meetings. You can come if you if you can if you can't make it. We'll make sure there are notes. Just making sure that they understood it isn't that we're giving you a whole new job here. Really, what we're looking for you is to be cheerleaders of the brand and get other people excited. So part of it was also when we're announcing the brand launch, we did it through word of mouth. Very different than if you get one other email coming from an organization saying we're doing something, and so. Instilling that rumor throughout the building in those six months really helped in getting people excited and feeling like they were owning part of that process. That's a great point, too, because many organizations, I think, have the eye rolls like, oh, no, here's another email from marketing, right? (laughs) But really taking a different approach. How did you select those people? Did you look at kind of cutting across departments? Did you look at... um, behaviors, types, influencers? Um, did you just see who raised their hand when another email from marketing went out? How did you, uh, how did you identify the right brand ambassadors? The great question. So it's a combination of all the things. So you have to strategically pe- pick the people that must be in the process. So our sales management manager had to be on there. Um, we needed to have someone from operations. Um, we, when we launched and, and said, so actually our first call to recruit brand ambassadors is when we said, hey, we have a, a, a new brand, a new logo, a new look, who wants to be part of the launch? So we actually didn't show anything and then had a, a type form survey where you had to tell mm-hmm. us why you wanted to be brand ambassador. So you had to join the club, which again, caused a lot of interest. You had to apply to join the club, right? Yes. So we had some people that were voluntold, as we mm-hmm. like to call it, and then we'd had the people that really wanted to be part of it. And that was important because um, we were surprised. We found ambassadors in places that we didn't know, people that were just really gung-ho and wanted to be part of a process and wanted to be inside. That's great. So um, in a rebrand like this, and you know, as you and I were talking off-air kind of 5, 10, 15 years ago, it may have looked very different in terms of then executing where are all the places where the brand lives. I mean, you think about digital, socials, or some of the communities you didn't have to, I don't want to say worry about as much, but think about as much uh, years ago. How did you identify all those areas? Are there places that sort of cropped up where you go, oh, we never thought about that? Because um, a brand launch is really very, it needs to be coordinated. Um, and if the website's updated, but the email templates aren't matching it, or you know the experience is disconnected, then it just doesn't feel holistic. Completely agree with you. Um, first of all, it was making sure we were recruiting the right people. So I've told you about our internal team that was essentially my vice president, myself, and my visual designer. We had the brand ambassadors, and then we also recruited an external branding agency to help us through the process. And that's really important to make sure that you have people that have zero idea about your business because they ask all the questions that maybe other people forget to ask. In terms of identifying and taking inventory, that was part of the survey process and of the facilitation process of listening, talking to different groups, paying attention. It feels still to this day really overwhelming if you if someone sits down and says, where is your brand right now? And especially in a digital space, you don't know what kind of documentation finance is sending. Um, in marketing, while you have probably more insight to the rest of the organization, you're not involved in the daily customer touch points as much 
because you're busy running, okay, the trade shows and, and, and the, mm-hmm. all the different online promotions and building new case studies. So really asking those questions and, and not being embarrassed that you may not know something that seems really straightforward. Uh, my visual designer was fantastic too because she'd walk around the building and she'd see the logo on, on the screen of the elevator. She's like, write that down. <laughs> so uh-huh. uh, finding the place where you were going to document where mm-hmm. you were seeing the brand was really important. I have to say that while I think that the digital space added complexity, for me, the hardest part was physical space. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Our brand in developing and building a, a physical experience for a brand is so complex because you're dealing with materials uh, lighting, location, obviously there's all the different pricing, you know, depending on what choices you make. There's um, the interactive experiences of the brand. There's not just putting the logo on everything and calling it a new brand. Um, I also feel with digital space, there's this morphing and evolution that can happen because you, you slowly change where physical space feels very final when you have to buy 1,000 things right. of the one thing. <laughs> Um, but to, to be honest, we had to phase it out. So that was another question to you in terms of um, being, how do you phase it out and make sure that you have this unified front? We had the launch on January 9th, and what exactly are the bare minimum things that we had to have done? So there was obviously the accounting materials. We needed to have Word doc tempu- templates, uh, PowerPoint templates, our email, uh, our website branding need to, needed to be ready to go. We wanted business cards in people's hands, um, signage in a way, but we there were some gaps knowing that we had a few months before our trade show season would start that maybe some of our physical, maybe the swag we were developing, the other signage, our corporate brochure kind of came into phase 1.2. Uh, And that helped also manage it, realizing that we were a small team. And if we took too much up front, we might Mm -hmm. fail. And then we would lose that buy-in and that confidence in the process. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we're now, call it, give or take 90 days in. I know. (laughs) People can't see the face of me. I'm sort of, wow, okay. (laughs) Um, uh, first, First part about that is... How did your leadership measure success, the rebrand, and and follow up to that? How did you measure success? Success to me in a brand is in its execution. So the design, beautiful. Um, The process and the research, uh, really telling. Uh, But really it's about how it grows and evolves when it lands in the hands of the people that are using it. So something to keep in mind in terms of branding is it's a very personal process because it's, it's your company and your organization no matter what layer you work in. But to your customers, that brand instills confidence. And that brand shows if your customer, if we're saying that in business to business it takes anywhere between 7 and 15 people to make a decision, there mean, there, it means that you have an advocate sitting in a boardroom that has to prove that your company is the best choice to get the job done. And if I feel that my brand is successful, and I just don't mean barcoding being my brand personally, but the brand project is successful when you start to see it evolve. So I brought these Lego geeks in today. Yeah, they're really cool. It's too bad people can't see them. 
And so we developed these uh, Lego minifigures. They have the barcoding brand on it. And um, we see salespeople, because we have a lot of remote workers around the country, and they'll put, you know, he's called Barry Code, and um, (laughs) they'll put him out at ballparks and take pictures of him. And so we start using, you know, we see this social movement and this cultural movement with the brand, and it means that people Mm -hmm. are owning it, and and it makes it feel like it's their own. And we see the same thing when we see customers or partners that are wearing our T-shirts. It's not their own. That, to me, is success. That's great. Um, one topic I wanted to briefly explore, and we could probably do a whole other episode on this at some point in the future, is uh, you have a background in design thinking. Um, where did design thinking play a role in all of this? Probably at every step of the way. So design thinking is about facilitation. Um, I never consider myself an expert in the room, but instead, how do I pull back and and help bring the expertise and all of the different job roles and titles into the room to bring ideas out and then create a focus. So in facilitating uh, a brand refresh project or any large project, you need to be able to understand personalities in the room. You need to be able to figure out how do you give voice to each person in the room in a, in a in a way that helps feel collaborative and like you're not shutting anyone out, but together you're coming to the right decision or the next decision, which is probably more important sometimes. That could be, and maybe in the future, uh, its whole own episode. So uh, stay tuned for that. I would Um, love to come in and talk more about design thinking. Excellent. Before we go, I always like to ask guests this uh, final question. Uh, What would the Jennifer of today give as advice to an early career Jennifer? This is a very good question. Uh, For me, I think it's about flexibility and adaptability. I think sometimes you are taught that you have to lay down your roadmap, figure out where you're going, what the next steps are. And I think sometimes that hyper-focus can lead you to miss opportunities. And so in my coaching of uh, uh, junior designers, um, I often say you have to keep your opportunities open and don't, don't put yourself in a box. Uh, say yes to opportunities and see where it goes. Great. Well, Jennifer, thanks so much for joining us today and we'll talk again soon. Thanks for having me.